All right, so if you were with us last week, you know that we started a little tiny mini-series of two sermons, which really probably isn't a series. You probably have to at least have three. Um, But we are going to look at part two of what we started last week, uh, and we're talking about the subject of change. How do we see change in our lives? What does change look like? Who changes us? All of those type of things we've been looking at last week. We, uh, we're going to review a little bit from last week, but uh, let me just start by saying if you uh, haven't, uh, if you weren't here last week or you haven't been able to catch up online, um, you, you probably won't be terribly, terribly confused. However, if you want more information, uh, please feel free to go online. You can always see what, what we talked about last week. But with that in mind, let's just do a quick review of last week, what we've seen. Um, and uh, we won't go into all the verses that we shared last week. Many of you remember last week we were kind of all over the place in the scriptures, and we will be again today. Uh, and let me just say, don't be too afraid by the size of the outline. I know it looks scary, but I'm hoping it won't be as scary as it actually is. Uh, I'm very excited, actually. Well, I don't even know what I just said, but I'm very excited. <clears throat> I'm excited today to be able to bring this about. In all honesty, as I did this, as I prepared for this sermon this week, I realized really this could have been uh, four or five uh, sermons all by itself. And so it has been condensed. We're going we're gonna to be on a fast trip all through the scriptures to see some concepts about change today. Uh, and uh, I'll give you some resources too that you can go to to find out more. Uh, but let's go ahead and just start with our review from last week, and then we'll jump into what we're talking about today. So last week, uh, first of all, we looked at the need for change. We saw that we need change in our lives because we struggle with sin, have deceitful hearts, and fall short of godliness. If you remember, we talked about this, that it's not wrong to have the feeling in our hearts that we want change in our lives. It's, it, lives. it's actually a good thing that God has put there. And the truth of the matter is, because our lives in, in this world uh, is still covered in sin, there's still sin wherever we look, and there's still even sin within us, that therefore we need change constantly. And it's a good thing to want change. And part of that, that whole idea of the fact that we have deceitful hearts is, is the idea that, yes, we need to be changed because our hearts themselves have a problem. It's not just about the things we do, but it's about the very inward part of who we are. And finally, that we fall short of godliness, that we should want change because we are not yet what we will be. If you remember, the scriptures tell us one day we will be like him, but that doesn't come until we see him in his glory. And so we understand that we look forward to that day, but also understand that where we stand right now, we are not there yet. And so therefore, with those things in mind, we know that we need change. So then we said, okay, if we need change, what is the goal of change? So what is the point? So the goal of change, what we saw last week then, if we struggle with sin, the goal is to die to sin. So that sin will no longer have dominion over us, but will have freedom from sin. So we need to die from, to sin. We need to put sin to death in our lives. And in, in part of doing that, we need our hearts to be renewed. The fact that God will renew our hearts. And so the goal of change is to die to sin, but also so that our hearts will be changed and renewed. And ultimately, the goal of any real change is to become more like Jesus. And remember, if we started last week, we talked about how many people, New Year's, want to make changes in their lives. And there's lots of things that we could want to change, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the main goal of any change we make in our lives should be for the purpose of bringing glory through being more like Jesus. And so we looked at that's the goal, is to die to sin, renew our hearts, and become more like Jesus. And then the last thing we looked at was if the need, the goal, and then uh, the source, the source of change. God's power changes us. It's God. He is the source of the power. He is the source of our change. So we saw that God's power changes us through union with Jesus. 
We, as Jesus died and rose again, we die to sin and rise to newness of life and also the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So God's power changes us through union with Christ. Because of what Christ has done, we can have power to change. And the power to change comes from the Holy Spirit, God himself, as he works in our lives to produce fruit. And we talked about fruit quite a bit. We talked about the idea that the Holy Spirit produces fruit. That, uh, that as in our lives, we don't manufacture fruit. We can't just attach it to the tree, but it actually comes from within. And the idea is the Holy Spirit is the one who brings fruit in our lives. And so at the end of our time last week, we looked at this idea that we need change. The goal of change is ultimately to become more like Jesus, but we don't do that in our own strength. We need God to change our hearts. We need God to change our actions. We need God to change us from the inside out through his Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And so we saw that last week. So we need to stop putting in, uh, thinking that somehow change is all dependent upon us. Instead, change is dependent upon God himself. But then, I said this week, we're going to look at this question. This week, we're going to look at this question, and that is this. How does this change happen? So last week, okay, we all can probably come around to agree that God is the one who brings change about in our lives to become more like Jesus because we have uh, deceitful hearts who, are, uh, who struggle with sin. So we, we can agree with that theologically, maybe in our minds. We understand philosophically that that might be true, but... How does that really affect our everyday lives as we walk through this life? What does this change actually look like? How does it happen? It's one thing to say God changes us, but then it's another thing to say, well, what exactly does it look like? And so today we're going to look at how does this change happen? And some of you had some good questions after last week's sermon. Uh, and, and the main question that I got was, how does this all work? Like, how does God change us versus how do we, what do we have to do versus what does he do? And, it, and there's some confusion there. It's like, okay, so what exactly does this look like? And so today, I want to take some time to look at scripture and say, these are the things that God says facilitate change. As he, as his power changes us, what does that look like? How does that work itself out? And so we're going to look at that today. But before we get to any of the the points today. We're going to look at three main ways that God applies change to our lives. We're going to look at that, and there's many more, by the way. I've chosen the three main ones, but there's others. But uh, before we even get there, we need to talk about this tension that we feel that has been talked about from this pulpit many times by both myself and Pastor Justin, and that is this tension of this, the question of how can I change versus how can I be changed. You notice the sermon title is how to change, but then in parentheses, how to be changed. And I think there's a tension here, and if you don't understand what the tension is by what I've just said, it's this idea of, okay, so is change something I do or is change something God does? Well, we just saw last week that God changes me, so what does that mean I have to do? Do I just sit around and wait for him to change me? What does this look like? So if I ask the question, how can I change, that's what the world asks, right? The world says, how can I, how can I change? I found a book that's actually entitled, How Can I Change?, and I was going to read the description, but I, I didn't print it out. But the description basically says, take these 10 steps and you will change your life forever. It was very much like, okay, how do you change? Well, you take, you, you take your life and you just change it. Uh, but then last week we talked about how can I be changed and the understanding that it's not about us, but it's about God changing us. And so there is a, there's a conflict. There's a conflict of God is working and yet there's something that we're expected to do as well. There is an element of effort. Actually, we looked at that last week. But a couple of passages we looked at last week that, that show us that there's this 
there's this dichotomy, if you will, of what God is doing versus what we do. And they come together somewhere in the middle. And let's look at some of those verses real quick. Last week, you remember, we were in Galatians 5 uh, to end our time, talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And it continues, but the idea there is what we see is the fruit of the Spirit. Remember last week we talked about the fact, as I already said, the Holy Spirit creates fruit in our lives. So the change we see in our hearts comes as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit. However, in this same idea as Paul continues to write under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in Galatians 6, 7 through 9, we see this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will, will, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So after we're told that we need to experience the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, later on we're told, but keep in mind, whatever you sow is what you reap. And the idea of sowing, obviously, is working. It's working the ground. And if you're using a, uh, a agriculture analogy here, you work the ground and you plant and you do everything you need to do so that that crop will grow. And so whatever you sow is what you reap. And then later on in verse 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good. That is something that we do. And so we see a tension here, even in Galatians. There's the fruit of the Spirit versus you reap what you sow. And what we're going to see throughout Scripture, I'm going to show you two other, uh, two other examples of this, is we've got to understand that these two things do come together. That God's power, as he has released us from the power of sin, now gives us the freedom to do what is right. But it's not because we're good enough to do it on our own, it's because he empowers us to do that. And we're going to look at that in, in more, uh, more in just a second. So we see that first one. Now, Second Peter 1, 3-8, we looked at last week. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8, and this is probably uh, very, very clear here, but 2 Peter 1, 3 through 8 starts right off, says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, so far, what we've seen is God, it's his power that has saved us and brought us to do anything in life, everything in life. But then in verse 5, he continues, for this very reason, so because God has worked this out in our lives, what does he say? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or, watch this, unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, we understand this idea of the fruit of the Spirit versus you reap what you sow, and those kind of go together in Galatians. In Second Peter 1, we see that it's God's divine power that is doing the work, and yet we're expected to make every effort. It says, for this reason, because God has made these changes in our hearts, because he has changed us from the inside out, now we make effort, not because we can in our own strength, but because he has allowed us to do that. He is empowering us to do that. And so we make every effort to grow so that we will be fruitful. So again, we see these two things coming together. This is going to be important that we understand this. The final passage that we looked at... um, Actually, we didn't look at this last week. This is a new passage, but and a lot of times we don't apply this passage to um, talking about change in our lives, but I think it makes a whole lot of sense. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. 
Uh, you guys, some of you will know this passage, and it's primarily talking about evangelism and, and the result of the gospel, but I believe that as the gospel doesn't only save, it also sanctifies. I think we see this true in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. We see this tension again. It says, What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. I like that. God's building. We are God's field. We are where the fruit is growing, right? Okay, so the fruit is growing in his field. And it goes on and says, God is the one who gives growth. And yet here at the end it says that it's, it's about people who are watering and people who are planting are laboring. And we are therefore God's fellow workers. So again, this applies to evangelism. It applies to the fact that we're sharing the gospel. And as we share the gospel, people will then come to know the gospel. But that's not because we were good enough to save them or that our words were what saved them. It's God himself who saves them. But I think we apply this to our sanctification as well. And we say, listen, God is the one who grows us. God is the one who grows the fruit in our lives. However, at the same time, we are working alongside of him and there is some labor that must be done. And so before we get to anything else that we're going to say today, we need to understand that what I said last week does not give us the license to just say, fine, if God is doing the change in my life, then all I'm going to do in life is sit down uh, in my house and never never do anything, never uh, try to, to do anything because God's going to do all the change anyway, so why does it matter what I do? That is against the idea of what scriptures would say. The scriptures say, yes, God is changing us, and so therefore, since we're being changed, we also take steps to change. And I know this can be confusing, but as we look at this, I remember in, in uh in college, there was a professor we had, and he, he, he was very clear, and he said, listen, we live in a society that is an either-or society. Like, if there's, a, if there's a conflict of something, you have to say, well, it's either this or that. So in this case, you would, the society or theology might say, well, it's either God gives the, the strength or we do it on our own. It's one of the two. You can't have anywhere in the middle, but the Bible is very clear. And I, to be honest with you, I don't know exactly how it works. Thank God that he is not understandable in some cases. Thank God that I am not smart enough to know exactly how he works because if I was, then he wouldn't be God. And so I thank him for that. And I don't understand exactly how all this works. I know it can be very hard to understand. And this is one of those cases where we just say, God, I don't know how this works, how your power and my work that combine together, I don't know what it looks like, but I know the Bible says it's true. And so I'm going to trust that you're changing me and I'm going to do things that are going to allow me to change. And they come together and they, they work together for our growth and for change. In fact, I found this quote uh, in a book called The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges, and I'm going to commend that book to you, and I'll probably do that at the end. There's a few books that I really want to commend to you if you want to know more about change and how it works, because I can't cover everything in the short time we have today. But I want to read this, this quote. He says this, Although the Holy Spirit is the agent of sanctification, and he works in us in a mysterious fashion, It is also true that he uses rational and understandable means to sanctify us. By the way, sanctify to make us holy, really to change us. Some of these means are outside of our control to initiate. With other means, he expects us to take the initiative. The Holy Spirit works in us to enable us to live lives pleasing to God. He does not do all the work for us, 
Rather, he enables us to do the work. And so that's a longer quote, but I think that's what we're really trying to get at here. And so really, as we transition into looking at these three things that we can be doing because of God's change in our lives, this is what we need to understand. Being dead to sin, which we are if we know Christ, and alive in Christ to live a new life, should bring true heart change that brings freedom and a desire to live holy lives. We know that God is the means and power to change us. He is the one who has the power. It is not our own power. And he makes us bear fruit. But yet in all of this, he expects us to participate in the process. As God changes us, he expects our participation. And so that leaves two things that I just want to say to all of us. And I'm going to leave it there. I know there's still questions and you guys can uh, debate amongst yourselves, debate with me, whatever, about how this actually looks. But these are the two things I want us to really understand as we think about the fact that through the change that God has made, that we now participate in change. And that's this. Number one, don't be lazy and sit around waiting for change to happen without any effort. Don't assume that somehow you can just sit around, do nothing, and God will make amazing things happen in your life and change everything in your life. If you truly desire change, it's not going to come by sitting on your bottom. So don't be lazy. But also, don't fall into the other ditch and think that somehow you can rely on your own power to rely on yourself to force change through your willpower, through your strategies, through how you do things. There needs to be an understanding that there is a middle ground where we lean into God's power. We trust in his power to change us while we take steps of change. And so we cannot fall on either ditch and be lazy or somehow think that we can work things out in ourselves. We need God's power, and as we walk in his power, we do things that will allow us to change. So with that being the case, let's see now how God changes us and what we do to participate in this change. So let's start off with point one. Point one, God changes us through prayer. So we must pray. Notice the structure here. God changes us through prayer. It's still God's power, but in the process of him changing us through prayer, we must pray. God changes us through prayer, so we must pray. And, and so let's look at three things, particularly how this looks. So obviously, if God is going to change us through prayer, we need to pray. And if you don't know what prayer is, uh, it's pretty simple. It's talking to God. It's, it's going to God and asking for his strength and his help. It's going to God and asking for uh, exactly what he promises, that, that change will happen in your lives. Change will happen in other people's lives. Prayer is not simply grabbing a list and reciting them out loud. Prayer is not simply a moment of silence. Prayer is talking to God directly. So let's look at what prayer looks like in the, as the way the Bible tells us as we think about change. First of all, we pray. How do we pray? We pray for him to accomplish his will in our lives. We pray for him to accomplish his will in our lives. Let's not miss this in these two passages that we're going to read. 1 John 5, 13 through 15, one of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible, especially if you look in prosperity gospel circles. But let's read 1 John 5, 13 through 15. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. So this verse says if we pray, God will answer. If we pray, God will give. 
And that is true, but also point out here in verse 14, this is the confidence that we have. The confidence that we have when we come to pray is that God is going to do what we ask if we ask anything according to his will. What is God's will? Glad you asked. Romans 8, 28 through 29. Romans 8, 28 through 29, and we looked at this last week. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, that, this is talking about his will. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. There are many other passages we could look to as we talk about the will of God, but when we look at the will of God, it comes down to something very simple, and that's what we see here in Romans 8, 29 and 8, 28 and 29, is to do good for his people by making them more like Jesus, to conform them to the image of his son. So if you go back and you think about John, 1 John 5, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and we'll, he'll do it. What is it that we know God's will is? See, a lot of times we jump in and think, well, I need to pray for God's will, but sometimes I don't know what it is. Like, should I pray that I go to this place? Or should I pray that I, I brush my teeth with this type of toothpaste? Should I pray that this is the person I need to marry? What do I need to pray about when it comes to God's will? I'm going to make it very simple for you. You pray that God will change you to be more like Jesus, and he will answer. This is the promise he gives in First John. Not if you ask for a million dollars, you'll get a million dollars. What he says is, if you want to be like Jesus, you ask me to make me more like my son, I will do it. And so we trust that he will do it. And so we pray that he will accomplish his will of Christ-likeness in our life. That's one way we pray. The second way we pray, as we think about change, is we pray for God to cleanse our hearts. We pray for God to cleanse our hearts. Remember, our hearts are deceitful. They're sinful. And so we need change, and that change comes through the gospel, but it also comes as we learn how to continually defeat sin in our lives, how we continually learn for our heart to be transformed day by day. Look at the, the David in the Psalms, Psalm 51.10. Many of you will know this psalm is written after David has committed adultery with Bathsheba and sent Uriah to die on the battlefield, and Nathan has confronted him in his sin and here is the psalm we get from this as David pours his heart out to God in prayer. And what does he say in Psalm 51.10 very clearly? He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Notice David doesn't say, God, uh, I'm going to make my heart clean. He doesn't say, I, I have a new spirit now. I'm going to make it happen. No, he says, God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. If you're struggling and you know your heart isn't where it needs to be, you know, you can labor all day long and try to change yourself through whatever means you think is necessary. But at the end of the day, we need to pray that God will cleanse our hearts. He is the one who gives us new hearts. He is the one who renews us. And so we pray to him and we ask him to change our hearts, ours and those others of our siblings in Christ. So we pray for clean hearts, to cleanse our hearts. So we pray for him to accomplish his will of Christ-likeness in our life. We pray for him to cleanse our hearts. And then we pray for God to change our attitudes. We pray for God to change our attitudes. That's another way we pray as we think about change. Because let's face it, many times what needs to change in our lives isn't necessarily what we're doing, but how we're doing it and how we feel and our attitudes about life. And so Philippians 4, 5 through 7 talks about this. It says, let your, reasonable, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you want to have an attitude of peace and reasonableness? An attitude in which you're not worried, but an attitude of trust, an attitude of thanksgiving? If you want those attitudes to change, how does that come? He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. We pray thankful prayers. And that will change our attitudes. Again, not because we have the power. It's not this magic eight ball when we pray, but God says the peace of God will, that surpasses all understanding, that, that will settle our hearts, will, will, not might, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you want your mind and your heart to be changed and to be guarded, then pray to God that he will change you. Pray to God that he'll take that worry and turn it into trust. Pray that he'll, that he'll take that, that anxiety and turn it into thanksgiving. And so we pray for him to change our attitudes. So that's our first point today. As we think about how God changes us, what do we do? Well, God changes us through prayer, so we must pray. We pray that he'll accomplish his will of Christ-likeness. We pray that he'll cleanse our hearts. We pray that he'll change our attitudes. We pray for these things. Notice I did not say that we pray for our, our prayer list. Now listen, that doesn't mean you don't pray for the prayer list. I'm not saying that everybody should rip up the list that we print every week. What I'm saying is, keep in mind, in the concept of change, we need to pray. If he is the power of change, then it only makes sense that we talk to the one who can change us. And that's the point. And yes, of course, we're going to look at this later. We pray for other people. We pray for health needs. We pray for lots of things. And that's all good to pray for. But don't just leave it there. Understand that God wants to do something in our hearts that is so much greater than any physical need that we have. And so we trust him that he'll change us and we pray to him. And we don't, we don't, we're not anxious. We, we no longer are going to worry about how we're going to change or worry about our lives. But instead, we are thankful through prayer. And so that's our first point. Our second point today, if God, as God changes us, this is what we see. God changes us through his word. So, we must listen to it. God changes us through his word, so we must listen to it. Now, I had some trouble here trying to figure out what word to put here. Uh, should I say, so we should read it? Uh, or should I say, so we should study it? Uh, should we know it? There's lots of re- words we could have put here, but I think listen to it makes sense. Especially in a moment, we're going to look at some verses that might lead us that direction. But let me just say now, before we even get into what God's Word does and how it changes us, let me just say, when I say we must listen to it, that's, that's not just saying that you come uh, to church on Sunday and listen to the preacher preach it. There's more to listening to the Word of God. And I'm not, it's not necessarily auditory listening. It's the idea of taking something in. And so... As we need God's word for change, which we're going to see in a moment, we need to be bringing it into our hearts, bringing it into our minds, bringing it into who we are through what he has said in his word. And we do that, yes, through listening to sermons, absolutely, through Bible studies, through small groups, through reading it ourselves, through reading it with our families, and just really putting God's word and just stewing in it. And and it's just overwhelming to us. Meditate would be another word that we could put here. But the idea here is God's word is a change agent in our life. The Holy Spirit is changing us through his word, and so therefore we must listen to it. And we can't listen to it if we're not engaged with it. We can't listen to God's word if the only time you hear God's word is when you show up on an hour on Sunday morning. 
or maybe in today's sermon, two hours, whatever it might be. But that's not enough, right? We need God's word in every part of our lives, every part. So let's look at some things that God's word does as we think about change. First of all, God's word exposes our hearts and should lead us to change. God's word exposes our hearts. Let's look at this in Hebrews. Many of you know this, uh, this passage, uh, and it's this, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, I just want to say right out front here, there is some debate about the word of God here. Is this the Bible or is this Jesus himself? I would say in either case, we know that Jesus gave us his word and God, he is the word. And they can both be true here. The idea that through God's word, the revelation of himself, what does God's word do? Well, it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you want to know where your heart needs to change? Go to God's word. As God's word tells us, as, as the revelation of God, as we have in these pages, as Jesus shows us through his life, either way we look at that and we say, listen, the word of God has the power to change us, to see our hearts and discern our thoughts and intentions. Because let's face it, if we don't, we don't understand. There are so many things in our lives that we think we're fine, but really our heart is just, as the Bible says it last week, deceitful. Desperately wicked. It's, it's going to cause problems, and we don't always see that. We need God's word to help us to see what needs to change. But it shouldn't just stop there. That's where we're going to jump into James 1, 22 through 25. It's one thing to see your heart and what needs to change, but it's another thing to do something about it. James 1, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James makes it very clear that it does no good just for us to go to God's word and see what needs to change and then walk away. Uh, the idea of walking up, you walk up to the mirror and, yeah, you know, you see that you've got all sorts of problems. Your hair is a mess. Uh, I don't know. You've got blemishes all over your face, whatever it might be. And you just look like a mess. And you're like, all right, that's cool. I'm just going to walk away, not do anything about it, and I'll forget about what I looked like. And then you go to church or school or your work and everybody's looking at you like, wow, you look weird today. Like, like it didn't do anything. It didn't accomplish anything in your life. And, and James is saying that's like a person who reads the Bible or listens to a sermon or, or goes to small group or watches something on YouTube about God's word or whatever it might be. And, and they hear God's word and they see what needs to change, but then they just like, okay, that's great and walk away and nothing changes. So yes, the Bible exposes our hearts. It shows us where we need to change, but then James says, When you see what needs to change, then you go out and you do it. You do what God's word says. In other words, it's not just about hearing it. It's not just about knowing it, but it's about doing it. And so when I say that God changes us through his word and we must listen to it, listening is part of that. Notice he calls it hearers. Don't just be hearers. You can hear a lot of things and not actually listen because listening involves action. And so the idea here is, yes, as we see our hearts and where it needs to change, then we take God's word and we apply it to our lives and we do what it says. It's not just enough to hear it, but we need to actually know it and do it. So that's the first point as we think about God's word and change. Secondly, actually this probably should have been first, but uh, 
it says this, we see this, God's word sanctifies us. God's word sanctifies us. The Bible says very clearly that if we want to be made more holy, the word sanctify, to be made holy, to be more like Jesus, really, let's keep that in mind. As we talk about holiness, it's about Christ-likeness. So how do we become more holy? Well, through God's word. Jesus himself prays to God for this while he's here before he dies. And he says this in John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says, if we're going to be sanctified, it's going to become through truth. And truth comes from where? God's word. And so if we want to be made holy, if we want to see change to become more like Jesus, then it's through his word. It's through knowing it. And going back to what we just talked about, it's knowing it and applying it in our lives. And then in Ephesians 5, we see something very similar. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Being cleansed, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In Ephesians 5, uh, Paul is writing, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and says that husbands and wives have a relationship with each other, and husbands need to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And then he explains what Christ did. And that is that he sanctified the church through the word so that they would be presented holy and without blemish. That's what Jesus does. And what we see in Ephesians is he does it through his word. If you want to be more like Jesus, be more holy in your life, if that's the change that you know needs to happen, then you realize that God is going to use his word in your life so you listen to it so that you can indeed see sanctification happening. Again, It's not a secret pill. It's not like, oh, if I just read the Bible, then I'm automatically going to grow. I think a lot of people get to this point, and I'm probably getting ahead of myself. No, I'm not. I'm fine. A lot of people get to the point, especially in January, well, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. And great. If you can do that all, that's awesome. I'm I'm so happy for you. Reading the Bible through in a year is amazing to do, and you should try to do it. I'm not saying you shouldn't. However... Let us not just make it about reading through the Bible. Let us make it about seeing what God says, making the changes he know, that we need to make based on what we read, and really listening, not just reading. Because I'm a goal-oriented person. So I'm telling you this. When I, I, have the, I am terrible when it comes to reading the Bible in a year. Never done it. Whoa, pastor, you've never read the whole Bible. I didn't say that. I've never read the Bible through in a year. I've tried several times, and I usually fall short very quickly. And part of that reason is because I'm treating it as a project. If I can just get through these verses today, then I'll be caught up. And by, then I move, miss a day, and then I have to read double, and, and pretty soon I have to read like quadruple, and I'm like, I just can't do it anymore. And if I can't accomplish my goal, then I'm just going to stop. And I, I think that might be true of some of you, too. Maybe some of you have never had a problem reading it through. And, oh, that's hey, I want to talk to you, I want to know how you do that, because it's hard, right? But, but listen, the point is, is though, what I want for us is to understand that it's not just about, hey, I accomplished this. If on December 31st you're able to say, hey, I read through the whole Bible this year, that's great, but I want to then ask the question, what did you learn and what did you change? And if there's no answer to that, then what was the point? It was words on a page. It wasn't God's word changing you from the inside out, and that's the point. God's word sanctifies us. God's word is not just to be read as a book, for us to have knowledge, 
That's great. There's lots of smart people out there that know a lot about the Bible that don't really know Jesus. And we need Jesus and we need his word. And so that's what we see here. That was probably a soapbox. I apologize. Moving on. God's word exposes, God's word sanctifies, and God's word provides everything we need to grow. This kind of goes alongside of what I said last week. No matter how much willpower or strategy you think you may have, at the end of the day, what's really going to have the power to change you and allow you to grow is not going to be any outside strategy or human effort, but it's going to be through what God has given us. It's not through... Uh, fantastic experiences. It's not through trying to figure out what God is doing in your life in weird ways. Uh, it is about going to God's word. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Watch this. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not just equipped for some good works. Not that the man of God may be better but that the man of God may be complete. Maybe your translation says perfect. The idea here is mature. That the man of God may be mature, equipped for every good work. If you want to grow into maturity, God has given you everything you need to know in his word. You don't need to go outside of it. You don't need to figure out mystical ways of God telling you what his will is. All you need is to go to his word and everything we need for every good work that will allow us to be mature is found in his word. And so we know that God changes us through his word, and so therefore listen to it. Engage with it. Hear it, read it, do it. Listen to his word. And so point one, God changes us through prayer, so we must pray. Point two, God changes us through his word, so we must listen to it. Finally, our last point today is God changes us through his people, so we must come together. God changes us through his people, so we must come together. So let's look at that, what that actually looks like. First of all, we see that God's people give encouragement in the gospel. Hebrews 10. I know, we use this verse a lot. Pastors love to use this verse to tell people, come to church. I have been guilty. Come to my church. However, Let's read it in all its entirety and what we see is happening here in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So far, what we've seen, I'm just going to stop there for a moment. So far, what we've seen is the gospel that Jesus has made a way to have a relationship with God yet again through the death, through his flesh. The curtain has been ripped. In other words, we have access to God. He is a great high priest over us. And now because God, because of what Jesus has done, we have a true heart in full assurance of faith. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean. Remember, we're talking about our hearts being changed. Since God has changed our hearts through the gospel, then what should we do? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. So hold on to it, for he who promised is faithful. And as we hold on to it, how do we do that? And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So how then, in light of the fact that our hearts have been changed, what should that produce? Well, it produces coming together, 
to stir one another up to love and good works. And that happens because we meet together. You got to be with people to be able to encourage people. And I'm not saying that you can never encourage people from afar. I've been encouraged by emails and letters and cards, and I've been encouraged by social media even. And that is not, I mean, I'm not, say, I'm not just saying that that's not possible. But what I'm saying is, in general, we need to find ways to be together. We need to find ways to be around, engaged with one another, wherever that is and however that looks, so that we can encourage one another to love and good works. This means, yes, come to church, but it's so much bigger than that. Yes, we hope you're here on Sunday mornings. We hope you're involved in a small group, that you've made connections in a place outside of even just our big meeting. We, we, we hope that you come on, uh, for ABF and you come on Sunday evenings to discuss the sermon. Uh, and, and we hope you do all these things. And there's lots of opportunities at church to come together. But it, I don't want it to stop there. We, when we see each other in the grocery store, can we just, like, not, like, okay, maybe I'm the only one who's ever done this. You see somebody from afar... No, go to that person, encourage them, see how their day's going. Maybe they need a word of encouragement that day. We are the body of Christ, we are a family, and that doesn't end when we leave these doors. I think one of the biggest concerns I have about church in general, and, and, and I'm not just isolating ours, is that we confine all of our relationship and all of our encouragement in these four walls, or ten walls, or whatever they are. When we come together, all we do We worship and we encourage each other, and that's great, but let us go further than that. Let us not just leave that here. Call each other through the week. Engage with each other. Do what it means to come together so that we can encourage one another. Not just have surface relationships that when we're here at church, we can say the right things and and act the right way and, and have casual friendships while we're here, but that we actually love one another in a way that drives us into one another's lives to encourage people to love, to love people so that they will love others and to do good works. That's the idea. We need each other to continue to change and to do what God has asked us to do because there are days when I don't feel like following God's ways. There are days when I don't feel like I, that, like I want to pray or that I want to listen to God's word. And so what I need is for somebody to come in and say, hey, this is what you need to hear. You need God's word. Let's pray together. Like These are things that I need, and we're going to get to that in a moment even deeper, but I need people in my life. You need people in your life, and God has given us the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean Alfred Allman Bible Church and the walls we see. I mean the people of God. God has given us a family to encourage each other, to encourage me, to encourage you. And so as we think about the fact that God changes us through prayer, yes, he changes us through his word, but he also changes us through his people. So we need to come together for encouragement. And that's all based upon the gospel. Next thing we see is God's people not only bring encouragement in our lives, God's people bring growth. God's people bring growth. Let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint by which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians 4 is very clear. If we want to see the body, the church growing, 
then it's going to happen as everyone works together, working properly together. Every joint that it's equipped with, the whole body joined and held together by every joint. The idea is we're held together as a body. And I could have, I could have, I could have spent all day on this part of the sermon. And we could have gone further into Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5. All of that is about how the Holy Spirit changes us so that we come together in a way that brings growth. So if you want to grow... Like if your stated goal, your thought process is I need to change and I need to grow closer to Jesus, it's not an individual effort. We need one another. So the days when we're weak, the days when we're struggling, the days when we don't know if we can continue on, that we have others who will help us to grow, to speak into our lives when we needed to be spoken into, to encourage us as we've already talked about, to even confront us as we're about to talk about in a second. But God's people give us encouragement. He gave us the church. He works through his people to bring encouragement. He works through his people to bring growth. And finally, we're going to look at the fact that God's people intercede for one another. God's people intercede for one another. Let's look at what this says in James five thirteen through 20, and we'll explain what I mean by intercede. Maybe... You think intercede is just talking about praying for one another, and that's a part of it, but let's see the whole of it in James five thirteen through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We did a whole... We did a whole sermon uh, series on the book of James. I encourage you to go back if you want to know more in depth what this passage is about. But I just want to point out a few things here this morning for our purposes of looking at how God changes us through his people. And that is that God's people intercede for us. He has allowed people in our lives to intercede. So first of all, that talks about praying, right? So uh, as, we, as we look at this passage, he, he talks about right off the bat, if anyone's suffering, let him pray. Uh, goes on and talks about calling the elders of the church to come and pray. Then talks about prayer, uh, saving people who are sick, prayer, uh, forgiving people of their sins. It's going to God and praying that God will work these things out, and we do that. And, and so I could have put this back in point one and say we pray. Well, we pray for each other would be one of the points. But I think here, as we're talking about God's people, we do pray for each other, and that's how we intercede for each other, and we pray for healing. We pray for uh, forgiveness. We pray for spiritual healing and all of those things goes on and talks about Elijah and how he prayed and, and, and even the very earth didn't, it didn't rain and then it did. And when it did rain, by the way, it brought fruit. I find that very interesting. As he prayed for uh, physical fruit, can we pray for spiritual fruit for others? And, and so there's this prayer that's part of interceding, but there's more to it than that. As we look at this, not only is it praying, but it's also accountability. Uh, we intercede for one another because we are able to be accountable to one another. So we confess our sins, as James uh, as 5.16 says. We confess our sins, 
And we also pray for each other. Later on in James in 19 and 20 talks about if you see somebody wandering away, you bring them back. And that's what the church is meant to do. You see somebody wandering away from what they know is true, you bring them back. And this is how we also intercede. It's not just about praying for one another, but it's also about holding each other accountable. It's about me being willing to express where I'm struggling and where I'm sinning and where I need help and where I desperately need forgiveness and repentance and I need your help to guide me in that, in that way by coming together However that may look, small group, large group, one-on-one, whatever it might be, but it's the idea that not only am I going to be praying for you, and I hope you're praying for me, but that we will be accountable to one another. We'll be confessing our sins to one another, and I know that's scary, but that's what brings change. Again, change doesn't happen if you don't acknowledge that change needs to happen. And so the idea is we confess it to one another so that we can help one another, so that we can help each other grow, going back to Ephesians 4, so that we can encourage each other, going back to Hebrews chapter 10. And so we pray for one another. We're accountable to one another. If you're struggling with sin and you're not living a life in which you know that you're trending towards Christ-likeness and instead you're stuck because of sin, maybe the piece that you need to apply in this situation is knowing that God wants to change you through prayer, through his word, but also through his people. And you need to come to people and say, I need help. There is no shame in that. We all need help. And so we intercede for one another. We allow others to intercede for us. We pray for one another and we confess to one another. We forgive one another and we, we watch over one another. That's really what happens as we see God changing us through his people. So those are my big three points. As I said earlier, there is so much more we could talk about. Uh, I had a whole set, another section. You're all thankful that I didn't put it in on suffering and how God uses suffering and how God uses opportunities for us to trust him in the midst of hard times. There's a, whole, there's a whole other list of things that God uses in our lives to bring change. But as we think specifically about this idea of God changing us and his power in our lives and then how, does, how do we participate in what he's doing. And that's, that's the goal I want us to think about. We are participating in the change that God is making. And as we do that, there are things that we can do but again, so we pray because he changes us through prayer. We, we engage with God's word. We listen to God's word because he changes us through his word. And we come together and we live a communal life because God changes us through his people. That's how we participate in the change that God is doing in our hearts and in our lives. So again, going back to last week, if we want to see change, we need to trust in God's power We need to know that he brings the fruit, but then walk in the change that he has made in our lives. And that's what I hope we understand as we come together today. Again, I got to say it one more time. What I am not saying today is that if you will pray more, read your Bible more, and come to church more, then everything is going to be better for you. Yes, you should pray more. Yes, you should read your Bible more. Yes, you should come to church more. Sure. But if it's just about action, if it's just about going through the motions, if it's just about saying, well, if I can do these things, then I can achieve change in my life, it's not going to happen. We need to run to God, run to his power, and then yes, these things should change. We should desire his word. We should desire to pray. We should desire to be with his people. And we allow God to work in our lives to do that. It's not about, hey, if I just fill in these check marks, then I'm going to grow. So many times I feel like even I have been too quick to solve people's problems by saying, pray, read, go. 
those are good things, but not if it's not through the power of God. So they come together in a both hand. And so my questions that, I need to, that we need to ask today as we close, thank you for your grace. I know we've gone a little long, but let's look at these three questions. I'm just going to leave you with these to ask yourselves. First of all, have you been changed by the gospel? I started with this last week as well. Before we even talk about change and becoming more like Jesus, we need to know Jesus. And so the question I have for everyone here is if you have not been changed by Jesus, if you have not come to him knowing that he lived a perfect life that you couldn't live, that he died to forgive you of all your sin because he took your place and you no longer have to be afraid of punishment and, and being separated from his goodness and his, uh, his graciousness forever. And instead, you can, uh, you can be, have a relationship with God, that you can live forever with him, that you can have, all, that you can have God, his presence in your life. Because he died, he lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins and rose again to prove that sin and death has no more power, but he has the power. If you have not come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I need you to save me, I need you to change me. If you've never done that in the first place, then all of what we talked about means nothing. So my question is, have you been changed by the gospel? And if you have not, if you have not received the gospel, and by receive, it's simple. It's, it's believing in who Jesus is, what he's done, turning towards him for salvation. That is what we need to do. If you have not done that, then be changed today and come to him. And then the next two questions for all of us. Are you seeing God change things in your life? Have you taken the time to really take some time to think about it? I, I want to say a few words real quick about this. A lot of times people get really frustrated because they're, they're not where they think they should be remember we talked about last week we get frustrated i'm not where i should be uh, and we, and I, i'm not what i know i should be living and, and we get really frustrated and we think that something we start getting anxious can i just say this take some time to really think about what god has done and is doing in your life sometimes we get so caught up looking forward to see where we should be and see how far away it is that we forget to look back and see all that god has already done Don't get discouraged and frustrated because you're not where you yet want to be because none of us are. But look at your life and say, God, are you changing things in my life? Have you changed things in my life? And I'll tell you what, that'll give you encouragement as you think about what you were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, for some of you even just a year ago. We see what God has done and we can rejoice and praise him for that. But at the same time, just make sure that you're actually seeing God change things in your life because if things aren't changing, then perhaps God's power to change is not in you which means you don't know jesus so look for that not saying that's for sure but i'm saying that's something you need to consider finally are you actively pursuing change in light of god's work in you in other words are you participating in the change that god is making in you and we can do that in these ways pray we can pray we can listen to god's word we can come together there's many more and on that point i just want to say before i close in prayer there are a few books that I want to recommend to you. That really, if you are interested in finding out more about what it means to be changed, to experience change in your life, I don't know if these are in our, in, in our library or not. I didn't look. And actually, uh, I think two of them I actually borrowed from Justin, so I can't give them away. Um, by the way, Justin, I borrowed these. Um, so, um, but couple, just a couple, and if you want to write these down, get a hold of them. Uh, How People Change uh, by Timothy Lane and, and Paul Tripp. Many of you know Paul Tripp. Fantastic work on how people change. This one I found very, very good, very, very helpful for me, and that's You Can Change by Tim Chester. You Can Change by Tim Chester. And finally, um, I quoted this one at the beginning of the sermon, but The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. 
Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And I commend these books to you. I don't normally do this, but as you look at this, like, I couldn't preach all this, right? So uh, there's no way all this stuff is going to be in an an hour or hour and change. So um, if you want to know more, I would highly encourage you to read those. Ultimately, do not replace God's Word with these books, but they can help you as a supplement. And so I want to recommend those to you. Let's pray, and we'll be done. Lord, thank you for the change that you've made in our hearts for those of us who know you. God, I pray that you'd help us to participate in the change that you're making. Help us to trust you and help us to look to you and pray and help us to uh, read more and listen to your word more and obey your word more. We need, we need you to do that. We need your help to do that. God, would you help us to see the, the power of coming together as your people? Would you help us to, uh, to really love one another and encourage one another and help each other grow? God, would you help us? We need it, and we want to see you change our hearts. And as you do, would you help us to do the things that you've called us to do? We know that in the end, you are going to give us what we ask if we ask according to your will. And so today, I want to pray for our church. I want to pray that you would help us as a church to become more like you. And I pray that individuals would pray the same thing for themselves. I pray that for myself. God, would you help me to become more like you? Would you help our church to become more like you? We need it so desperately. Lord, would you help us? We thank you for the change that you've already made, the change you're going to continue to make. And ultimately, we thank you as we look ahead to the ultimate change. As we are, we will be like you as we see you as you are. And we thank you for that promise. And we pray all this today in Jesus' name. Amen.